Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 54th episode of VisionCon Live, your go-to nerdy talk show. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to meet the man of the hour. He's Iron Man from the Marvel Animated Universe, Poe from Kung Fu Panda, Legends of Awesomeness, Slappy from Goosebumps, just to name a few. Whether it's a billionaire playboy superhero or a murderous puppet, there's no role that this star can't do. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the one, the only, Mick Wingert. Mick, how are we doing today? Good. Thank you. Th <laughs> thank you. Um, all, all joking aside, thanks for the incredible intro. Uh, you make me sound really important, and uh, I think I'd be the first person to tell you I'm not. But thank you for making me feel that way. Well, uh, and I'm glad to be here, Zach. Respectfully agree to disagree, Mick. Fair <laughs> thank enough. you so much for joining us. We've already got plenty of people in the chat saying hi. What's going on, guys? For those of you, and we'll just go ahead and get this out of the way, for those of you who are either messaging VisionCon directly, your viewers' comments and questions, or putting it in the live chat if you're watching this live on Facebook, you have plenty of time to do so. However, we are going to address those till the very end. So just stay tuned, enjoy yourselves, sit back and relax, and we'll get to your guys' questions and comments at the end. But with that said, Mick, I want to start us off by saying, towards that intro that I just gave, people know you are a person who's been in this industry many years, have a lot of roles under your belt. But what I want to start us off with is how did we get here? Was showbiz always the plan, or did something happen kind of later on in life that brought us to where we are today? It's kind of a, a combination of both. Wait, how can that be? <laughs> Honestly, like when I was a kid, I was the I was the kid that watched all the cartoons. I was certainly before there was such a thing as a uh, a good connotation to the word geek. I was very much a geek. Um, I feel like. Um, you know, or rather I should say I remember going and doing community theater and stuff when I was a kid. And, and even up until college, I thought I was, I was going to be an actor type. Uh, and then I got real in college and was like, I want to get out of here and I want to have a job <laughs> and have money. So please find something else to do. And I actually graduated with mass communication slash journalism as my major. And uh, that was from the illustrious institute of education known as california state university at fresno and um and actually i was i had entered the workforce in an advertising department for a for a uh, sorry a department store chain so wow. i was doing that and that was not a good fit and uh and that you know again this is my early 20s i thought I think I, I think I should still be an actor. And I know that there's risk involved in that, but I feel like that's what I was created to do. Uh, I've said this in other interviews and I, I wanna be sensitive to our time. So I will just uh, sum up that to say, so I started pursuing it. And in 2004, I finally moved down to Southern California, uh, knowing that I was coming down here to, to do voiceover work specifically for animation um, and didn't really hit doing anything until uh, I was handed the opportunity to do a voice match for Jack Black in 2008-ish. And, um, and, you know, go from there. Uh, the rest, the rest uh, remains to be history now, but, uh, but it, was a, it was a rough start, you know, just, for, just like everybody, you gotta pay your dues, whatever market you get into. Um, and so in that way, for me, it was both. It was both a lifelong thing I've always wanted to do, and also something that I came to a little later as an adult, thinking, 
okay, it's time to not give up on that. <laughs> well, and that not giving up has really paid off in the end because we have three characters in particular I want to kind of dive deeper into. And one of which regarding the voice matching, we want to touch on a little bit. But first, I want to talk about a character that arguably is at one of the height of its popularity because we all know with the cinematic of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, it is a global well-known phenomenon. However, Marvel's been doing a lot of things in its animation, animated universe as well. And for those of us who have a Disney Plus, we now have a lot of access to that. And one character in particular is one I want to start off start us off on. And that character is, of course, the illustrious, the one, the only, Iron Man slash Tony Stark. Now, before we dive too deep, he is. There he is. Now, not before we dive deeper into Iron Man, just give us a brief overview of how you got the parts, got the role, any fun anecdotes involved with them, anything at all. Gosh, uh, it was a one-off. It was a one-off for a. For, when I say one-off, like an audition came through my talent agency for a one-off for a Marvel straight-to-video, video-on-demand, um, you know, for, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, like, for Netflix, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was well before Disney+. And it was, aside from any of the current animated projects that were in the mix, it was basically a holiday special. And some of the original, some of the cast from the current Avengers cartoons were going to be involved, and some were not. And this was an opportunity for them to get another name in, involved to be Iron Man. And, um, and I had loved uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance of Iron Man. Uh, I know it's, it can be kind of a hot take, but I thought he, uh, I thought he just embodied that character. And honestly, as a fan, um, he increased my, my interest in the character like 20-fold. Uh, with his with his acting choices, with his performance. So when I got the audition, I was like, I know another actor who's currently doing this and has been doing it for video games and and television, and I like his take on it. But I have to hear, I have to hear a little RDJ in there. So I'm that's it was like a three or four line dialogue audition very short uh the casting director who was in charge of that it's kind of how she likes to run her auditions is you know short and punchy and i decided that i should give it a little bit of this when i'm reading the lines so that there was that feeling of robert downey jr in there because i admired it so much and from there uh, I booked that particular straight to video. It was the Marvel. The, so, so for those of you keeping score at home, the very first thing I ever did for the Marvel animated universe was the Marvel superheroes frost fight adventure. And, uh, and that was my first foray into the role of Iron Man. <laughs> so uh, from there, I then was asked to come and repeat the performance for uh, a couple of Lego Marvel specials, though not the video game. I think the video game had already been recorded and was well underway by the time I came around. Um, And then then I was invited to join the cast of Avengers season four and five from there. And I've been, I've been gratefully playing Tony Stark since then, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel Spider-Man, um, Ironheart, the Ironheart special, 
I, it's just been a joy to kind of be all over the Marvel animated universe, as you put it, uh, you know, as this signature character. He's, I mean, it, I was never the cool guy in school, so it, it's really fun to play the cool, the cool cat, the cool kid in the room, <laughs> uh, the guy who's, you know, smarter and braver and all those things than anybody else. So. <laughs> Well, and, he, and he's a lot of things, but what I do respect about kind of Marvel and Disney's kind of angle with the Marvel animated versus cinematic is there are parallels between these two universes that definitely coincide, whereas Tony Stark is very much so, yes, a superhero, but he's also a big mentor, especially in Marvel Spider-Man, where he's definitely a mentor towards Peter. So while playing that character... Did it ever, the fact that it fits multiple archetypes, did that ever present any unique challenges on as an actor? The, hmm. Uh, I'll answer that question by way of saying that playing Tony Stark as a complex character, and you get into the mentor thing, he does the same thing with the character of Makoto, who I saw on our screen just a moment ago mm -hmm. in Future Avengers, um, which was a fun show to dub. Uh, and I think that was my first, was that my first? No, Marvel Disc Wars was my first anime dub. Um, and as Star-Lord, of all people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but needless to say, I, um, playing Tony is always uh, a really big bite to chew on because he is so complex. He's got this arrogance and this, um, and this hot shotness to him because he knows he's the smartest guy in the room. But to to have those soft spots for Makoto, for Peter Parker, for um, Riri Williams in Ironheart special, to to get those moments was really uh, an amazing experience. Like that's one of the things I love about what I what what I do for a living. Uh, specifically as Tony Stark, some great acting moments. Now, there, there are some projects in the works that I can't talk about, um, but I, I will say this. I do look forward to being able to showcase some more <laughs> acting choices as Tony Stark. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Hell yeah. Well, stay tuned, everybody, for that. But the next character I want to talk about is now a lot of people who know me clearly just look at my background. I'm a big fan of Anna May. However, yeah. there are quite a few cartoons here in the West that I'm also a big fan of. And one of, and I doubt you guys would be able to know this just by looking at me, but I love Kung Fu Panda. And one of the greatest... <laughs> <laughs> cartoons in my opinion uh, at least in you know the last few years is definitely Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness where you play the titular main character that of course is if I can find my cursor there it is <laughs> that of course is the one and only Poe now again before we dive too deep into it just give us a brief overview of Poe playing the part getting the part fun anecdotes anything at all Okay, so I owe my entire career uh, to a couple of other voiceover professionals, not least of which, specifically for the role that brought me to the dance, uh, Poe the Panda, I owe that specifically to James Arnold Taylor. 
James Arnold Taylor is an incredible voice actor. If you haven't had him on the Vision Con show, please reach out to him. See if you can get yeah. him to participate. He's a phenomenal human being, so talented, uh, a rich history in the business as well. Oh, believe uh, me, it was, uh, was, it was uh, no, lack, no lack of trying. Okay, well, that's <laughs> All right. Uh, well, good. Uh, but James was on points auditioning for or talking to the casting director of uh, the Activision video game that was going to be released with the first Kung Fu Panda film. And they were looking for an actor to do the voice match of Poe. They had been working with a different actor uh, who was the voice match of Poe for like scratch tracking and some of the commercial work and promos and stuff up until that point. But for whatever reason, because of the demands of the game or schedule or I, I honestly, that's above my pay grade. I don't know why, but I can tell you that they were looking and James told the casting director, look, Jack Black's nice, not in my wheelhouse, but you know who you should call? Call Mick Wingert's agent because he sounds just like him. So they did. And I spent a long weekend, uh, like a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday doing really nothing but watching Jack Black films and trying to come up with a sound alike that I didn't know I had <laughs> because James had thrown me right into the fire on that one, uh, right under the bus. So needless to say, it, it was, uh, it was a trial by fire. And, and the way I, the way I got this gig, at least from my perspective, um, what I heard from the casting director was that they, and they appreciated my flexibility as an actor and being able to hit certain notes and be, still be able to hit other notes, you know, kind of giving them a full range, not just a vocal match. And, uh, but for me, in terms of the voice match, the best I had at the end of that weekend was an underbite. So if I gave myself an underbite like this, I started to kind of sound like Jack. And then that became how I did it. And then all of a sudden, I didn't need to lean on that crutch anymore because I figured out that the only real difference between his voice and my voice is nothing to do with texture or pitch. Well, pitch now because, you know, he's a little older than I am and he's been harder on his lungs than I've been on mine. But so he's a little a little deeper now, but at the time, the only difference was the the way that we form our words. So his articulation was a lot more lateral like this. And as soon as I was able to lock into that without the underbite, it was, I was off to the races. But that wasn't until the third or fourth job as, as Poe. Like if you, if you wanna hear the world's worst Jack Black impression, go find the Kung Fu Panda video game from 2008 pop that into your xbox 360 or your playstation 2 and uh see what you get it's not gorgeous <laughs> well, it's i not mean gorgeous. with what you just did if i had closed my eyes i would imagine i was just i was sitting in front of jack black right now <laughs> but like in on that note i mean voice matching isn't really a new concept in your industry yeah. however i will say that you do an excellent job matching Jack Black while also putting your own kind of personal flair to Poe. So I did want to ask, um, how? I'm kidding, but in uh, more accurate, how do you implement kind of your own spin on a character without deviating too far from the source material? That's a great question. And I'm sure that every voice actor that you 
that you are able to interview and, and talk to who does voice matching will have a different answer. Uh, for me, I can only give you my perspective, and my perspective is this. If I can fool the audience into thinking that Jack Black did the show or the commercial or whatever it is I'm playing Poe in, then I've done my job. Like, I want to capture all the nuances I can from the first, second, third film, all of his little choices, so that I can draw upon them. Now, arguably, I have more in the data banks from that first film than the two sequels, but... Um, but part of it is just taking the character as he was portrayed and expressed, and then as the writers of the show that I'm working on or the commercial I'm doing or whatever express him, and, and trying to play that as, as true as possible. And sometimes that true, playing it truly like that, sometimes that means you gotta deviate from Jack's performance because the writing is different in the show or what have you. Uh, and sometimes it is, oh, I know exactly what moment this is. That's the, that's the moment where he goes up here like this and he's, ah. <laughs> so I'm going to get, I'm going to do that in this moment and that's going to make it work. And so I think, you know, how do I, how do I bring my own flair? It's about honoring the script that I've give I've been given. And sometimes honoring that script I've been given is speaking up in session and going, I don't think Poe would say this. This feels very un-Poe. Uh, we did a, we did a, an episode of uh, Pause of Destiny, which is the show that's on Amazon Prime. And in one of the shows, uh, and this is the premise of this, is Poe has to mentor four young pandas who end up with all this amazing chi power and kung fu greatness. They, they become superheroes. Mm -hmm. So he's got to mentor them on what it's like to be, you know, a reluctant superhero. And... There's this one moment where one of the kids is geeking out and saying, you know, I know we should, we should sneak in and, and come up with code names and, and do all this stuff. And the line was, Poe's reaction was, no, we shouldn't do that. Or would you be serious for a minute? And even though Poe is in the mentor role, like I know anybody who watches that first film, Poe's into that. Second film, like his whole thing about the second film is calling out maneuvers as he's doing them, you know, <laughs> flying through the sky. He would be all into that. So I changed the line on the fly to, oh, what a great idea, but we don't have time. <laughs> so that the truth of the character would stay consistent. Mm. There are times, I mean, a lot of people's fingers touch that character. He's a franchise character for DreamWorks. So we've had two television shows. We've had any number of rides, promos, um, you know, narrative scripts, you name it. And, and been a, there's been a writer, a different writer for every single, or a group of writers for every single project. And, and you, you start to find who, who your character is just by, by being the constant amidst, amidst all the variables. So sometimes it's just, you know, say the line that they gave you because it works. And sometimes it's, think there's a better way to handle that yeah. as the character making sure that it's all one cohesive message and right. all one cohesive character more like it correct <laughs> right well before we go on guys i did because we're approaching the halfway point i did just want to reiterate that plenty of you have already if you're watching this live on facebook message VisionCon directly your viewers comments and questions or put in the live chat you still have plenty of time to do so i just wanted to remind you guys that we're going to do that at the end but with that said the next character is a bit more of a different tone than the previous two. 
He's a little bit more scary, a little bit more uh, maniacal, I would say, but still just as lovable. That, of course, is the reason why I can never truly enjoy a ventriloquism show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about the one, the only, Slappy. Now again, Hello, Zach, how are you? <laughs> uh, now, before we dive too much into this guy, just give us a brief overview, how you got the part, any special nuances involved, anecdotes, whatever you like. You're, I'm so sorry to bore your, to bore your audience because you're all going to be in tears by the time I'm done with this because <laughs> the story is the same. Like they were looking for, Jack couldn't make the contractual uh, obligations of doing the second film. He had done Slappy in the first film and uh, he was only available in the second film for his cameo performance. He was doing a, uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls at the same time. And uh, I, I talk as though I'm his manager or something. I don't, <laughs> I've never even met Jack. Uh, we are aware of each other, obviously, because he's a global superstar and who wouldn't know who he is. And <laughs> he has seen my work in some of his roles and uh, has been very complimentary, which is nice. Uh, but we've never met. We've never like uh, crossed paths. Uh, but he was not able to do the voice and they were looking for a sound alike because they wanted, again, that through line of consistency. They wanted to make sure that Slappy, that Slappy uh, sounded and felt the same from Goosebumps 1 to Goosebumps 2, specifically because he is the main, spoiler alert, he is the main villain in the second feature. Like, it's his show. Uh, it's not about R.L. Stein as played by Jack Black. It's not about, I mean, it's about the kids that are involved in their story and that kind of thing. But the main antagonist is Slappy. He is the Goosebumps in Goosebumps Haunted Halloween. Um, and, and so they, they knew that they needed that through line. And in both films, uh, there's an incredibly talented uh, on-camera puppeteer slash actor, voice actor, I should say, who, uh, who did all of the live performance of Slappy on location and that kind of thing. And you can still see some of his stuff on you know, like the Goosebumps, the Sony Goosebumps Instagram, that kind of stuff. He's got a great take on Slappy, but because Jack had done him for the feature, they wanted for the release of the feature film to have somebody to sound like him. So enter I you. Sent, sent in my file, enter me. And, uh, and thankfully um, they were all very happy with, with the way that it turned out. It, the great thing about playing Slappy is it was definitely a chance to indulge my dark side <laughs> rather than all sweetness and light. Because as you may know, as an anime fan, in that world, in the world of anime and stuff, there's all kinds of different genres. You can, you, oh, yeah. you can do stuff that's basically police procedural. You can do anime that's, that's horror, anime that's comedy, anime that's slice of life, that's action adventure. In Western cartoons, we don't have as broad a range. We don't use animation for that, that wide a birth of storytelling. So for a lot of us who are fans of horror and drama and, and exploring serious themes, but we're cartoon actors, there aren't a lot of opportunities to do that with our craft. But this was one. I mean, even though it's just a kid's, a kid's Halloween film, there's a there's a dark side to Slappy, and oh, yeah. uh, and it was a lot of fun to 
to, you know, have to have those moments in the film where Slappy looks scary and is a little psychotic and obsessive and all of the things that make Slappy Slappy um, that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten to do. You don't get to do that as Poe. You don't get to do that as Tony Stark, Iron Man. I get got some good drama moments in the Marvel Animated Universe, um, but we didn't explore Tony as a bad guy at all because by the time I arrived on the on the scene, I'm sure they had already worked through whatever storylines they had of that. And they were in a position where Tony was starting to become a little more ancillary to the storyline and needed to be in that mentor, leader, hero role, period. Mm-hmm. So uh, didn't get to explore that, but with, but with Slappy, it was, that was a good time. I mean, there's, this, there's a scene where um, Wendy McClendon Covey's character comes home and uh, Slappy's like le- has been thrown on a couch and he's just laying there like this and she leaves the room and the kids are still there and he like sits up mm-hmm. and he's like oh yeah I know the same you want to make Slappy angry you wouldn't like me when I'm angry or something like that or something like when I get angry I get upset and then things happen oh, God. and so to be able to be menacing that way even in the context of a kids film Super fun, super fun. Plus, I got to meet Ken Jong at the at the premiere. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, he's a he's a funny guy. Um, he was anyway ball of energy that Ken Jong. Um, so that's a little behind the scenes look at Slappy and his creation. Uh, a bit of a back, kind of behind the scenes uh, on my end of things. Before we go on with the deeper dive, is my old job was the marketing manager of a movie theater. And uh, part of that job involved me staying after hours before a movie would come out to the public and quality check it. And there was, and other employees are welcome to come in there. It's part of the perks of working at a movie theater typically. Um, But for when Goosebumps 2 came out, I was the only person who came because it was my job. So I had to sit in a theater alone at, at night, it was past midnight, watching Goosebumps. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a big baby who doesn't do horror well, no matter how, you know, maybe light it might be. And it's just something about ventriloquism dummies has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But then <laughs> being alone in a dark theater after midnight, watching your performances slappy, oh, I never, got, I never quite recovered. But uh, that, that's uh, my my uh, well, compliments to the chef. Your nightmares, then, for sure. <laughs> well, and then on the, and then on the note of Slappy, I mean, like, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but yeah, at the drop of a hat, Slappy can go from hilarious and silly to foreboding and menacing. So, how are you able to rapidly kind of transition between these two disposi- these two dispositions so seamlessly? Again, uh, you know, at sometimes in a very rapid succession. You know, I, it, it just comes from being uh, on, you know, having mental illness, really. I, I don't know <laughs> what else to say. Uh, it, uh, it, all kidding aside, uh, I would have to say that, that it, it, it comes to a certain degree with understanding the material that you're doing. To, to be able to perform in different genres of 
film and television and whatnot, the more you understand about how it's written and how it's crafted, the better you're going to be. I just had an understanding that this character needed to be that unpredictable. Uh, when I, for example, uh, as a voiceover teacher and coach, when I work with somebody on playing a maniacal villain, not the, not the mastermind, but the guy who, who's more like the Joker, right? The guy who wants to see the world burn, the Harley Quinns of the world. When I'm working with an, with an actor about how to play that, one of my secrets is be as unpredictable as possible. Don't let anyone know when you're going to start busting into laughter, when you're going to be sweet, and when you're going to be shouting and menacing and evil on them. Because that unpredictability is uncertainty, and that uncertainty is scary to us as people. So I was tapping into some of that for myself as well with Slappy. Of course, he had moments that were written there that where he had to be sweet and enduring, that endearing. And then he had moments that he was menacing. But in terms of making that fast transition, I just had to keep in mind, Slappy's unpredictable and that's what makes him scary. So lean into the quick transitions, go from A to Z with skipping the rest of the alphabet in the middle with no ramp up and that will make him scarier. Um, and, and it works every time. Oh yeah. <laughs> And then on that note, uh, we're kind of jumping from characters. I want to kind of dive more into the mentor aspect of your job that you've adopted. Sure. Uh, because you definitely have a mentor role. And I'm going to bring something up on screen. For, my, for our audience, audio listeners, I am really sorry. But uh, I will let you know if you guys are interested in what we are about to talk about. I have all of those links Again, if you're watching this live on Facebook, in the live chat right now, or if you're watching this later on YouTube or Spotify, it's going to be down in the description box below. But I want to talk about, Mick, your mentor services. And, oh, oh hit the wrong button. Oh, here it is. All right. So you provide private coaching. Make it sound like it's an escort service. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, different service I'll that's provided. i the gala ball. <laughs> there's a different service that's provided, but I guess there's some overlap. But uh, so what kind of inspired you to not only be part of the voice acting industry, but mentor others that are wanting to either kind of, they're wanting to get into the industry or already are, but want to maybe like, you know, level up their abilities. So kind of what yeah. inspired you to get into this and what are some services that you offer that the folks watching at home can maybe take advantage of? Well, I would say the, the ultimate motivation was the, the title of the second Spaceballs film, Spaceballs <laughs> 2, The Quest for More Money. Um, <laughs> that's on it. <laughs> um, honestly, I did need a, a secondary income, but I didn't want to just have another day job. I was, I was at a place where I really wanted to build a business doing something that I loved, and I loved when my peers and I would get together for a workout group, we would get together and we just all of us would bring our assorted copy, whether it was an audition or things we got from class and we would just all work on them and try to help each other get better. And I loved that group. I loved being a part of it. And I loved anytime I got to direct and, and guide in that group. Um, and I got a lot of positive feedback. I got some good third party perspective that, that I was, that I was okay at it, that I was more than, uh, you know, more, a more than passable teacher slash director. <laughs> so when it was time for me to investigate some, 
uh, additional income just to help pay the expensive bills in Southern California, I thought, this is what I want to do. And I don't, I don't ever want to make something cost prohibitive because what I would be offering is really, I started with groups like workout groups because that's what I was familiar with. And I, I think I started them at $20 a, $20 a week. And uh, you got to come in and read twice and I would direct you and give you some coaching. And, and I, I, I always thought like, I'm an actor too. I would not want to pay more than that for an opportunity to practice, even if it's guided practice with a little bit of coaching. So that's where I started. Uh, my rate over the years as I've gotten better and as my time has become more valuable has gone up for those workout groups. Um, but once I, once I locked into what my, my private rate was, it's basically stayed that way for the le at least the last five years. Um, and, and working one-on-one -on -one with up-and-coming uh, voice actors is, is one of the things I love to do. Uh, I love what I do for a living. It's the best job on, on the planet. So if I can help foster those skills and, and get great like acting moments out of another talent through my, I don't know why I put a question mark on that. If I can, <laughs> it's a little upspeak because I'm in Southern California. You guys understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Um, but if I, can, if I can help another actor get one of those really great, acting moments where where reality and make-believe collide i i just i feel like i'm on cloud nine all day um so since i want to say 2008 2009 around the same time that i i booked my my first gig as poe i i've been teaching and coaching um it was important for me to not do not to jump in too soon uh, which is why one of the reasons I waited till I was already a booking actor, because in this business, your college degree doesn't necessarily give you street cred. Um, it doesn't give you credibility in a lot of senses. Uh, most of your education doesn't give you credibility in a lot of senses. Uh, but the work that you've done, boots on the ground, in the studio, day in, day out, that gives you street cred. Um, and, and all the, the teachers and, and, and coaches that I've ever gone to, the ones that I resonated best with were the ones that, that had that kind of street cred and could say, no, I know this because it worked for me on this episode of this show. Or I know this because I didn't do X, Y, Z when I was prepping for such and such an audition and I booked in spite of myself or I didn't book it. Same so on and so forth. So I take that really valuably. And, and so when I, when I started coaching, I wanted to wait until I knew that I had some credentials to back it up, uh, not just a, a gift for teaching. And, um, and then I had been trained. One of my mentors in this business was, has been uh, an incredible actor by the name of Pat Fraley, who teaches across the country um, and has for like 30 years. Um, I mean, he's one of these guys that worked with Dawes Butler and Mel Blanc and all the original cartoon voices guys in the 80s. And his, his career is still spanning to work today. And he was gracious enough to mentor me not only as a voice actor, but as a voice acting coach and teacher. I, I borrow a lot from him with permission. I borrow <laughs> a lot from him and owe him a lot because I feel like I'm the coach I am today because of his influence and his input. 
and the fact that he invested in me. So. And there's also a lot of big names in uh, this little slideshow of testimonials, one of which fans of the show will recognize as Sissy Jones, a previous guest on the show. Hey, yes. Uh, such a sweetheart, too. But so the folks watching at home that, again, either fit in the group of wanting to get in the voice acting industry or already are and just want to know what they can do to step it up, where can they, how can they contact you to apply and enroll into your classes and what can they kind of expect? So people can start coaching with me. Um, my schedule is very limited at this point because I am a working actor and I do have a client load. But every once in a while, I have opportunity uh, to take on new students. I do take beginning students. Um, what you need to know is that I'm going to shoot straight with you. And if you are not cut out for the business, I will be ruthlessly kind to you and ruthlessly honest. Um, I think somebody who wants to coach with me comes to me because I'm really good at, the, at helping the actor and to some degree the non-actor alike visualize what's happening in the scene of the cartoon or the show or the movie and translate that into vocal performance. That's what I specialize in. If you want to go to a, an animation class where you're learning all the different voices you can do, there are tons of great ones out there. There's Bob Bergen, there's uh, Debbie Derryberry, there's um, Charlie Adler, and um, I don't want to forget Richard Horvitz. Like, so many people teach the technique of opening up and making crazy choices and, and developing that, what we would call that Rolodex of characters you've got. I'm the guy who says, oh, you want to work in this business? Well, here are the skills that you need to work in this business, regardless of how many characters are in your Rolodex. Because there are people with hundreds of characters in their Rolodex that don't work because they don't have some of the fundamental skills for acting in the medium of audio. So that's what I focus on is foundations of skills. Because I, because in, I truly believe that's all we have to, to, to get better. Now, we can throw in that Rolodex of characters as skills that can be built. Like I can, I can practice new placements and try new things, you know. But, so it is a skill, but in terms of, but in terms of like the voiceover education market, that's covered in spades. What people aren't teaching for whatever reason is, is what you do when you get in that booth and how to make your, how to make your voice become a character, how that character can live, breathe, and move and have its being in the world that the writers created for it, that eventually the animator will bring to life. Um, that's, that's what I coach on. And that's, uh, that's been my focus uh, I would say almost the whole time uh, I've been teaching and coaching in the business. So mickwinger.com, there's a contact me page or a contact page. You can fill out an email form. It comes to my email. Uh, somebody will answer it within a week or so. If there's a spot, you can book it on my uh, Calendly, uh, which should be, if you go to back to classes and coaching, uh, Zach, uh, click on private sessions. There we go. And scroll down. Uh, it says schedule private. That links to my Calendly page, which is my, my calendar. Um, 
And if you can, if you've got the the budgetary resources, and we can make a time that fits both of our schedules, I, you know, you can book a, a slot with me right away. Um, I do, like I said, I do take beginners. The first the first session with somebody who I've never worked with before, whether they're coming from uh, the Hollywood environment or the Midwest or somewhere in between. My first session is always a, a, an assessment of sorts to figure out what your goals are. And what I would say is this is an expensive career to pursue, both in terms of money and time, resources, heart, lifestyle. You don't want to start investing in this lightly. Um, as I've said in a previous interview, and I say to my students often, you got to find what your irreducible minimum is. And if if doing character voices is not in your irreducible minimum, meaning like if I took that away, would you still be you? The answer is yes. If I took away doing voices and making characters up and you would still be you, then this probably is not a career that you want to invest in because the people who are doing it, their irreducible minimum that makes them up is their acting and specifically they're acting in character. And that will oftentimes bring voices with it. But at their, at their basic level, like for me, when I had to come to my irreducible minimum, I got to a place where I, I literally told myself, well, look, even if I never hit it in this career, I will find ways to do this as a hobby. So knowing that, that makes me believe it's part of what I was created to do, part of who I am. Um, and I am willing to make the sacrifices to do that. So I would definitely say you, you want to have some heart level conversations with yourself before you start signing up for classes. But the best way to investigate once you have had some of those heart level conversations with yourself is to take classes. Mine, some of the others I've mentioned, um, a studio I've been working through a lot lately is the Voice Actor Studio out of Las Vegas. They're a brick and mortar shop in Vegas, but since uh, COVID, they have started an online plethora of different uh, voiceover classes that you could take. I highly recommend them for, for the dip your toe in the water and see if this is a good fit kind of class. Um, see if you like doing it, see if you uh, are, are good at it, that kind of thing. Um, and I would say there's other recommendations I have here locally to the the uh, Los Angeles area, but on the internet, I would say Voice Actor Studio is my number one uh, recommend, and that's thevoiceactorstudio.com, and then edgestudio.com, I think is a pretty, they've, they've been around for a long time. So, and they're based out of New York, but they might have on online classes that are, again, priced affordably, but are also good investigation style classes of, what is this whole voiceover thing about, and am I a good match? And let me just save you a little heartache. If you don't have an acting background, don't take voiceover classes <laughs> until you've learned the art and craft of making believe the way an actor needs to. Because this career, it isn't about a, a voice or a sound anymore. You have to be able to act. The market is so competitive. Uh, in the, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm monologuing now and I apologize, but in the, <laughs> Last, I don't know, 16, 17 years that I've been in this industry, I have watched the casting dynamic 
do a complete 180 from what it used to be in all areas of this business. Um, and it, and it, it was, it originally was more dependent on sound and on that cast of utility characters. Um, and it's not anymore because the industry's become democratized due to the internet. You've got all kinds of people bringing their own signature sound to the, to the microphone and you don't need, you know, somebody to cover 40 roles. You, you really need somebody who's going to be as credible as possible as your lead and as credible as possible as your, you know, uh, comic relief character and as your villain and blah, blah, blah. And there's less room for utility. It's still around. Uh, my friend Fred Tatashore is the most utility guy I know of. He's like in everything. <laughs> um, and I've done my share of utility as well um, and continue to do so, thankfully. Uh, knock wood, but um, but it's not it's not nearly casting the way it used to, and that goes for commercial too. It used to be if you had a certain sound, you could get into commercials, <laughs> and now it's anti that sound. In fact, it's all about being a quote unquote real person, huh. and that actually requires more acting, less sound. So, so I, I just want to reiterate again, if you haven't taken any acting classes or done community theater or anything like that, invest in those first. See if it's a good fit. Then start moving towards your voiceover specific acting goals through coaching, teaching, learning the skill set for this instrument. Cool. Well, there you go. And uh, I have that link and plenty of others if you're watching this live here on Facebook in the live chat or if you're watching this later on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify, got them down in the description box below, as well as many others, which on that note, guys, if you haven't already, either message VisionCon directly, your viewers' comments and questions, or put in the live chat, you're, this is your last chance to do so, because ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. Mick yes. Winkler, now is your opportunity to plug, promote, advertise, whatever verb you wanna use, whatever you want. The floor is yours, sir. Awesome. I am teaching. I'm teaching through the Voice Actors Studio, an online class coming up in April. It might be full at this point, but if it's not, you're welcome to investigate that. I do ask that you, if you have no acting experience at all, don't make this your first class. It should not be your first class, but it is my hardcore animation technique class. That's something I'd like to plug. Uh, you, you can book online at thevoiceactorsstudio.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at uh, both, both of my handles are simply at Mick Wingert. I would like to plug that. And then finally, I would love to plug one of my favorite pet projects uh, of the last few years and something that is near and dear to my heart. And that is my <clears throat> semi ongoing podcast that's in transition right now called The Hidden Frequencies. And The Hidden Frequencies is my love letter to The Twilight Zone by way of audio drama. Put The Twilight Zone in your ears uh, with original scripts done by animation writers and acted by some of the names you know. Sissy Jones, Fred Tattashore, Roger Craig Smith, James Mathis III, Max Middleman, Michael Johnston, Sheremy uh, Lee, um, Colleen O'Shaughnessy. I've, I've just tried to pull as many people as I can together and do these Twilight Zone style, punch it in the gut at the end horror stories. In fact, we just did a, um, a drive within the last couple of weeks, my production team and I, for scripts for our new upcoming season three, which is gonna be a soft reboot. 
Um, and part of that is we're going to start having a listen through uh, of the old episodes where we're going to start hosting on our Facebook page times to listen to the podcast and, and talk about it and all that kind of thing. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to culminate at the end of the listen through after we've listened to all 12 existing episodes. Is it 12 or 13? Oh, it's 12. We'll, uh, it'll be a, uh, the 13th episode, which is previously unreleased. So a brand new episode at the end of the listen through um, stuff. And you can take a look as Zach's put it up on the screen, uh, thehiddenfrequencies.com. Uh, it's, it's available where all your podcast media is available. And uh, you can put it in, put the URL, excuse me, the um, Excel. It's like a, a RSS. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. You can put it your the RS feed link, RSS link in your favorite podcast app. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Google. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Stitcher. Uh, whatever, wherever you like to listen to your audio, it's available. Um, and I would love to hear what you think. Yeah. Because I personally really like it, but I'm a little biased. Well, and if you're listening to this right here on Spotify, later when it's posted, just go through that search bar right up top and just type in the Hidden Frequencies podcast. And with that, guys, we're going out of the plug zone and going right into our final segment, viewers, comments, and questions. So we're running a little short on time, so I'm just going to real quick take a few from the messenger and a few from the live chat. So let me get this pulled up real quick. All right, so my boy Aaron tuned in and said, because you voiced Lord Beckett in Kingdom Hearts 3, oh, yeah. do you have any favorite memories writing Disneyland, Pirates of the Caribbean, or watching movies? My Watching that first film in the theater is one of my favorite moments of all time. Uh, that is a huge, like, watershed memory for me, watching Curse of the Black Pearl in theaters because I had never seen anything like it. It was just such a magnificent film. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and writing the Pirates of the Caribbean line uh, ride has been part of my childhood since time immemorial. I'm from central California. So the closest, the closest Disney theme park is the original Disneyland. Uh, and, and we would always make sure to ride uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. In fact, uh, I think there are photos of me from the 80s with like a pirate hat <laughs> with a feather and everything. Oh my God. Uh, brandishing some plastic sword, uh, you know, living the pirate's life. I uh, definitely connected with that ride. And, and as an adult, one of the most fun things is to go through and listen to all the background, what we would call in the industry, we call it Walla, because it just sounds like Walla, 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 Walla. <laughs> But it's all the background dialogue. Listen for the background dialogue and take it in because there's some comedy gold in there. Not, I'm not just talking about the stuff that's easy to see, like, you know, when the ship's attacking the, you know, the fort and they're like, you know, surrender now or we're going to bombard your beer tracks. But like there's stuff past the auction where one of the drunk pirates is like talking to a, a cat and he's like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Just amazing atmosphere. As an adult, to be able to go into that ride and experience that and, and look for those little hidden things that you know the actors threw in and the product and the ride designers threw in, knowing somebody may never catch this. 
But if they do, it will be incredible. Good on them. <laughs> right? All right. Sorry. Uh, next question. All right. So Chris tuned in and said, hey, Mick, what was it like voicing in Batman Assault on Arkham? This is, mm -hmm. That is one of my favorite DC animated universe movies. That is one of mine as well. I really love a good Suicide Squad story. And I actually like Assault on Arkham better than what ended up as the feature film version. In fact, I think they, they could have and should have taken the script for the animated version and made it into Assault, and made it into the Suicide Squad film. Oh. And I think it would have uh, just been gangbusters. That was also one of the uh, one of the two or three times I think I've only worked with her. Th no, I worked with her four or five times actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it was one of the first two times I've ever worked with the legendary Andrea Romano, mm -hmm. and I remember seeing her name in the end credits after Batman the Animated Series and Tiny Toons and, uh, and Animaniacs and all these shows that I was way too old to watch in the '90s <laughs> that I absolutely watched. You know. Uh, that I absolutely watched all the time. And so to be able to meet her and know that she was, she was the voice director behind some of my favorite properties and then be able to work with her was incredible. Uh, I will never forget that moment. I will never forget working on Arkham, uh, Assault on Arkham uh, because of how edgy the script was, because it was brilliant, and because I got to work with Andrea freaking Romano. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Carol, we only have time for about two more guys. So uh, Caroline tuned in and said, when you're not working, what are some of your favorite hobbies? Uh, I wish I had time for, I have more time for video games. I'm, <laughs> I'm married, I have two teenage kids. And so my hobbies typically revolve around being there and being with them. Um, we do some online computer gaming together, some, my son and I. Um, but I also like to, I love to take in live events when I get a chance. Uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my hobbies have been ruined by COVID, um, <laughs> like many of us. But, I, um, but I'm, I'm really, as much as I, I would like to go out, uh, I'm really actually kind of a homebody. So I like watching really good movies. I love binging stuff on net Netflix. I'm a geek at heart. I love, I love when people suggest, you know, new anime for me to check out see if it's a good fit for my my tastes um my kids don't like anime i don't know what i did wrong but, <laughs> but i failed them somehow and so they don't usually watch any with me but when i do get a chance like i'll i'll turn on something um i've been blasting through in the last couple of years i've been i started blasting through but have been slogging through naruto and naruto shippuden hell yeah at this point I'm right in the, I want to say the back third of Shippuden. Okay. So I watched the whole first series. I watched most of, most of Shippuden, but I've got a third left on uh, the great, I'm in the great ninja war right now. That's so. right. You're not too far away from getting to your character in Boruto. Yes. Yes. Good old Boruto. Um, yeah. Shin, uh, Shin Uchiha was really fun to play. That's, and that's what I love about being in Boruto is when they call me in, it's usually for a villain character. And that's my favorite. I love playing the villains. <laughs> All right. So uh, the last question that we have time for is from Ryan who tuned in and said, Hey Mick, I just wanted to ask, what are some of your favorite characters that you voiced over the years? And are, are there any characters that you voiced that you wish had more of a spotlight? 
So I assume by spotlight. Oh, that's a, those are really good questions. Yeah. Man. Thank you for that. Uh, and thank you to the to Chris and to who who asked the well, first quest, the first couple questions. Uh, so it was uh, the ones that I read were Aaron and Chris off the live chat, and then thank you to Caroline and then Ryan. Got it. Got it. Uh, Thank you all for these great questions. So Ryan, um, I, I wish Shin Uchiha had a uh, more of a spotlight. Uh, he was just the villain of a certain arc in the Boruto series. And I know Boruto is kind of a controversial topic amongst Naruto fans. So it is what it is, but I loved playing that character. Uh, similarly, I loved playing Kane Madhouse in um, To the Abandoned Sacred Beasts. That was another great villain character that I, I basically got to talk like this the whole time. And that was a lot of fun. Um, gosh. Uh, there's so, oh my gosh, there's so many. Uh, of all the things, like I've done a lot of junior shows for whatever reason. I, I guess my voice just lends itself to junior programming and that's my acting style or whatever. But so like preschool shows. There's a couple of characters on Sophia the First and on Elena of Avalor that I wish had more spotlight. Uh, one of them was a, uh, a little dragon that looks like a baby dragon, but he's an adult and he's a con man. And so his whole con is he suckers people to bring him into his house and then robs them because he's an adult, right? It's like if Joe Pesci looked like an adorable baby in, you know, in Home Alone. So uh, they wanted me to do him with the, uh, the, uh, old-timey gangster say things say yeah like that say oh my gosh why can i not think of that guy's name it's not charles lawton it's um ah oh, what's his name see yeah um oh, oh it escapes me i'm getting old uh but that was a that what's that it's in my head i just can't think of the name yes i can't think of it either all of a sudden but i love doing that i love doing um the caped cod for um for what's it called um Tough puppy. Where I got to talk like this all the time. <laughs> uh, that was really fun. And then the Elena of Avalor was my my Don Rickles light impression uh, because I played Bruce the butterfrog who was just cranky about somebody standing in the sunlight while he was trying to sun himself. And it was it was it tickled somebody in the writer's room because he had Bruce ended up getting his own full episode even though he only showed up as a cameo, like in one and then a second, and then, you know, a little, a little <laughs> callback in a third episode. And then all of a sudden he had his own full blown, like subplot on another episode of his own. And that one kind of sounded like this. Yeah. All right, you guys, you're standing in my sun. Just get out of my sun. Uh, and that was really fun to play. And I wish more, more people had eyes on that, but Again, it's it's for a niche audience. What are you gonna do? <laughs> well, and before we sign off, I do want to say, uh, since we got on the topic of Boruto, for those of you who are Boruto haters out there and watching right now, shut up. It's a <laughs> it's a great show. I am, and I would argue, unless your name watching here right now is Masashi Kishimoto, the creator of Naruto, I'm a bigger Naruto fan than you. So if you have a problem with Boruto, just give it a chance. It's got all the essence of Naruto, plus a lot of other stuff, like great characters, like Shin Uchiha. So give it a shot. I promise you, if you stick with it, you'll love it. But 
With that said, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 54 of VisionCon Live. Before we wrap things up, Mick, any final thoughts to leave us on? Sage-like wisdom, anything at all? Gosh. Um, lather, rinse, repeat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been... It served you well in life. It really well in many ways. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 54 of VisionCon Live. Thank you so much for watching. I, of course, am your host, Zach Wilson. But much more importantly, this has been my very special guest, Mick Wingert. Make sure to check out all the links down in the description box below. And until next time, guys, always remember that life's better when you have friends to share it with.